see what God's got to say to us. I'm going to lift this up a bit higher because I'm the size of a Wookiee. That's a bit better. I'm a Wookiee without the fur, just as well. Mind you, getting there, ain't I? I'm get it all whole body fur. Hang out through Genesis, book of Genesis. It's the first book in the Bible. It means beginning, so it's a good place to put it. It's talking about the beginning of life as we know it, about creation. We've already looked at that. We looked at how we're made in the image of God. We looked at marriage and Sabbath rest and what that means. And uh, the past two Sundays we've been here. We weren't here last week. They had a good time at Christchurch. It was good, wasn't it? It was great to hang out with them. Lovely bunch. Love them. But uh, a couple of weeks before that, we were looking at Genesis 3, Genesis 4, where we see the, the condition of man's heart. And we see what happened during what we call the fall. It's the first time sin entered the world via Adam and Eve. And actually that that act was an act of worship. They chose not to worship God. They chose to worship themselves or something else. And that's what sin is, or the act of sin, is when you're worshipping something other than God, think you know better. And then we looked at Cain and Abel as well. Two of their children had a bit of fisticuffs. One's heart was not in a good place, killed his brother. It was, it was all about the state of the heart. It was all about worship again, what he preferred more, prioritised more to honouring God. Instead, we all still do that today, don't we? And so today we're going to rewind a little bit and we're going to look at the second half of chapter 3. So we're going to look at verse 8 of chapter 3 in Genesis and just recognise this. Set the scene. They're in the garden with God. They are working. They are resting. They are playing in intimate fellowship with the living God completely unhindered, completely at peace with each other, the perfect, ultimate family relationship, and they've broken it. Once something's been broken, you can't unbreak it, can you? You can try and fix it with a bit of superglue, but something has happened that you can't take back. And they've broken this perfect relationship with the living God by deciding they knew better and making that decision to do what he had asked them not to do. So now let's read from verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. In the cool of the day, that word cool is referring to the wind. It's actually referring to the Holy Spirit. By his Holy Spirit, he's with them. This is intimate fellowship. By his Holy Spirit, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You know when you've done something wrong and you know mum and dad have found out and they enter the room. There's this like, "Uh uh-oh moment, isn't there? Dad's turned up. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, "Uh, The woman. (laughs) The woman who who you gave me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, uh, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. 
To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's just pray. Lord, as we unpack this big picture, there's a lot going on in here. Something so devastating has happened. And here is your response. Lord, may we see in this the depth, the heaviness, the weight of what we, we as humanity brought upon ourselves, but also the depth of what you've done in reply. And Lord, may you be glorified in a big way in the next half an hour. We pray in your name. Amen. Someone has suggested that actually if Adam and Eve were Chinese, this wouldn't have happened. Because they'd have eaten the snake instead of the apple. <laughs> Not so sure it would have made any difference, but you know. All humanity has fallen because they disobeyed God. As our federal head, like we as a nation got signed over by our leaders into the EU. We didn't, I didn't personally choose that, but I have no option on part of the EU because my federal head decided. Adam and Eve, they committed that sin as a result of that. All humanity is in sin. We are in sin by our own actions, but also at birth as well. And enter the creator. Big Daddy walks in and he's got to deal with the mess that they've just made. They've completely fractured this relationship. What's the first thing they do? They hide. Amy used to do it a lot when she was little. When she knew that we knew what she'd done, she'd hide. Thinking, if they can't find me, I won't get in trouble. Could always find her. They hide. Forgetting the tiny mere fact that God can see everything. Playing hide and seek with God is a rubbish game. Because he always wins very, very quickly. But then what do they do? They hide. Then what do they do? To pass the buck. Pass the buck. But God knows all, doesn't he? I, I, wasn't even very, I wasn't even clever enough to pass the buck when I was a kid. I used to gouge out bits out of my windowsill with my pen knife and strike matches across the wall. And every time my mum found these things, who did that? I don't know. She goes, has anyone else been in your room? I'd be honest and go, no. She goes, well, who did it then? Well, I don't know. I wasn't even clever enough to think up some clever story about, well, he did it, she did it. No, it can't, can't be me. No idea. You work it out, mother. It's like, I have. <laughs> I was rubbish. But they hide and then they pass the buck. And God has to clean up this mess. What does he do? What he does is pronounce a curse. 
It's heavy. It's big. And I want to look at the curse on Satan, on the earth very briefly, but more significantly on us as mankind. And then what he's done about it. I want to talk about the curse and the cross, which is also here as well, hidden away. A curse. A cur- what is a curse? A curse is a pronouncement of judgment. You make a judgment, you pronounce that over someone, is a cur- that is what a curse is in its purest form. And for humanity, Adam and Eve have committed high treason. They, in their hearts, have put themselves on God's throne. I know better than you. I'm stealing your authority, or attempting to. It's exactly what Satan did himself. He was a fallen angel. He tried to usurp God's authority. I want what you've got. Out, <laughs> said the king. And that's exactly what we do. Every time we sin, we commit high treason in our hearts. Because we decide we're better than the high king. That is high treason. That is worthy of a death penalty. Sounds big, sounds massive. We can't always get that in our heads, but that is our attitude in our hearts. Every time we give in and sin, we are telling God to poke it. And when you realise who we're telling that to, that is massive. So God is pronouncing this judgment over all that are present and representationally us as well. And so first of all, he talks to Satan. We know the serpent here is Satan because at Revelation chapter 12, chapter 20, Revelation says that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan. We're not just talking about a reptile. And what does he say to the serpent? Because you have done this, it's verse 14. Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then he goes on to talk about her offspring shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. What he's saying here is not telling a lizard that he's going to lose his legs. You can read it like that, can't you? That's how the snake lost its legs. There's a bit more going on here. He's talking to the father of lies. He's pronouncing spiritual amputation on the father of lies himself, on Satan. He's telling him, your appetite will never satisfy you. Dust you shall eat. Whatever you eat, you're going to have an appetite for dust. It will never satisfy you. You will never be happy. He pronounces that he is doomed to writhing. On your belly you shall go. Your ability to move about will never benefit you, will never favour you. And then he dooms him to destruction, which we'll look at a little bit later in verse 15. Very quickly, he just, he's cursed Satan almost like a side sweep. Getting you, I'm dealing with you first, get out of the way, I've got something else to deal with now. Doomed to destruction, doomed to writhing, doomed to never being satisfied. And then on the earth, God also mentions in passing, verse 17, halfway down, cursed is the ground because of you. Romans chapter 8 tells us that the earth has been groaning ever since then. There is a groaning in the earth. It is just yearning to be set free. It's just under this curse, under this judgment. Something's been corrupted. Something's not right anymore. And it doesn't work quite right. And it needs fixing. And it's just been groaning under that weight ever since. The earth is groaning. But then God comes to us. <sighs> speaks to the woman, speaks to the man. And he pronounces judgment. He's seen what's happened and he speaks the truth of what has happened and what we've done to life as we know it now. It will never be the same again. What is he talking about? Well, for starters, marriage. Talks in verse 
16, second half of verse 16, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The words desire, the word husband, it's about a wrestle in marriage. Her desire and his ruling, he wants to lord it over her and become abusive. There's a temptation to do that. Her desire is to wrestle away leadership and authority and there's a fight for headship. There is a wrestle in marriage. Who's ever found marriage easy? No one. It's not. It's worth it, but you have to work at it. There was always a wrestle. There was always a tussle. Who's never argued in their marriage? <laughs> Good. I'm glad you're joking. If, you, if anyone said they hadn't argued in their marriage, I'd be worried about your marriage because someone's always giving in. That's not healthy. I'm not, I'm not, it's not marriage counsel. Go and have a good argument. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, it's a reality that we are two people, sinners, wrestling. That is marriage. We have to work at it, don't we? Marriage has been twisted. Marriage is no longer pure and as easy as it used to be. Then he talks about childbearing, doesn't he? Verse 16 also. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. There is pain and sickness involved in what should probably be one of the most enjoyable, pleasurable, and most amazing things on this planet, besides the bit just before it. It's true. But it should be the most amazing thing, and yet there is now pain and there is now sickness. Something else that should be so pure has been twisted. It does hurt us blokes as well, the way you squeeze our hands. That does hurt, to be fair. It's not all about you, is it? It's a joke. Okay, sorry. I'm a paramedic. I've had enough other ladies squeezing my hand besides Jenny as well. It does hurt, but not as much as your pain. I do understand that. Childbirth has been twisted. Marriage has been twisted. And then work as well. Work has been twisted. Work used to be, before that, a pleasurable experience. They were told, chapter 2, verse 15, told to work the earth but in a pleasurable way because it would yield what they wanted from it. Now the earth has been twisted. Something's broken. Now it's hard work. We're toiling against the grain. He talks about uh, verse 18, thorns and thistles shall bring forth, be brought forth from the earth. There are now weeds coming up. You plant, what happens? Weeds come up and choke them, don't they? We're always weeding in the garden, aren't we? Well, I'm not. You tell me to because I try not to because I think there'll be more weeds anyway. Jenny's better than I am at gardening. But there's always weeds, aren't there? It's looking at me funny now. There are weeds everywhere. And yet you turn over the soil, you prepare the soil, and excess sun can turn it to concrete, or excess water can flood it. It's like I've just put all that hard work in. Every summer we moan about not enough rain or too much rain. It's never quite right, is it? It's hard work. But it's not just in terms of weeds in agriculture. Weeds in everyday life. Weeds in business for example. We can hit the hamster wheel of business and industry and service. We need to pay the bills. We have to work. It feels like a hamster wheel sometimes, doesn't it? Churning away and not really getting anywhere. And we're trying to, we've got a dream of how good this job could be or how productive I could be or how big my company could become or how well I can serve my boss. And we've got these great dreams. We want to do it well. And yet the weeds of bureaucracy or politics can put the brakes on or even completely, completely derail everything. Weeds in business. It's there. It's just like, oh, Again, why does it never go right? Why does it never go easy? You tidy the house and the kids trash it. Our aim is amazing at that. It's quite an art form, she's turning into. Five minutes, three rooms. <laughs> what happened? I just tidied that up. It's not, it doesn't come easy, does it? Life, you're walking uphill, aren't we? Generally speaking. Sometimes things go well, but generally 
there's a pattern emerging, isn't there? You plan for an early night because you're shattered. And you plan, and you go to bed early, and a car alarm, neighbours, puking child, snoring spouse, they scupper it. It's like, oh, just, oh, just one night, can I just have eight solid hours? It's not always easy, is it? There's fractured relationships all around us. Family, neighbours. Who's had annoying neighbours? Keep your hand up if you've been an annoying neighbour. Oh, some hands go down. We're not always brilliant, are we? But family, is family ever easy? No. Choose your friends, not your relatives, as the saying goes. It's hard work. I love you, mother-in-law. But family can be difficult because we are people and there's something in us that is twisted and not quite right. The cogs aren't quite clicking together right. Something has gone wrong. It's because there is a curse over us because of the sin in the world in our hearts. Sin is not an abstract notion that does stuff and makes us be naughty. It's in us. It's the state of the heart. It's the condition of the heart. It's where our heart's at. It's a relationship thing. Relationships aren't easy. Sometimes relationships are fractured because of what we've done. We need to do something about it. Sometimes it's because of what others have done. Usually it's a bit of both. Life isn't simple and life isn't easy, is it? We have to strive to succeed, to pay the bills, to gain health, to get peace. And it feels like I've been walking uphill since birth quite often. Does it not? Why? Because we've been expelled from Eden. God had to make that judgment. You can't be here anymore. You've fractured this relationship. You're the ones that spoilt it. And he expelled Adam and Eve, us, humanity, from Eden, from an easy, intimate fellowship with him that is there ready for the taking. Because we spoilt it. And to make sure, he put cherubim to guard it with a flaming sword. These aren't cherubs like we see in the pictures, little babies with nappies on and harps, little wings. These are big, hulking, heavenly security guards. These are big bouncers. And he's like, you are not getting in. Not on your terms and not by your efforts. You are not coming back in. Complete excommunication, complete banishment, complete expulsion. And it was our fault and we can't blame anyone else. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, was very astute. He said this. He said, we all long for Eden and we are constantly glimpsing it. He says, our whole nature is still soaked with the sense of exile. We want it and we can never quite get it, can we? So is that us well and truly stuffed? Feels like it, doesn't it? What's the point? Well, within this curse pronouncement that he's spoken over us, there is a good news pronouncement Hidden away in verse 15. One of the most amazing verses of the Bible. Genesis 3, verse 15. This is called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first pronouncement of the gospel that you find in the Bible. Three chapters in, it's in there. He was ready to go because he knew he'd need it. They'd already planned it. They know what we're like. The Proto-Evangelium is here. Verse 15 of chapter 3. 
Here is the first gospel pronouncement. And it, it's not just a generic one. Don't worry, I've got it all sorted. I'll fix it. Moving on. There are details in here. Very specific details of what it will look like. It's amazing. Verse 15. He's speaking to the serpent. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. When he says your offspring, your seed, in other words, is the original word. The word your, speaking to the serpent, the word your is not the masculine version as you'd expect it to be. Very interesting. What is hidden away in that language there, the original words, is actually, it's the feminine, is referring to not the seed of a man. The seed always comes from a man. That's just biology. Here he's saying the seed won't be coming from a man. Here is an echo of the virgin birth. Jesus came from woman without man. Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. So your offspring, feminine, uniquely, the seed does not come from the man for this one person that God is talking about that will come. Fascinating. And then he says, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. He, his, singular, not plural. He's not talking about a people or something abstract. He's talking about a person who is born of woman and not of man. It's a picture already in here, hidden away, isn't there? And what does he say he shall do? He said, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this person, born of a woman, not of a man, will be injured by Satan, but he will deal a fatal blow to Satan. Very specific details just in that one part of the verse there. Satan will be dealt a major injury, a, a major fatal blow, and he will injure Christ in the process. That is what God is referring to and God is hinting at. There's a big echo there. But there's one other thing, just a little bit further on, that gives another echo of what that will look like. Verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. See, they were ashamed and they tried to hide themselves, fig leaves and all that, because they were suddenly aware that their hearts had been laid bare and they tried to hide. That was their first instinct, wasn't it? And God knew that sin and that shame needed covering up. So he provided skins for them. There's the first mammalian death on this planet. God did the first killing and he provided those skins for them. Blood was needed. Sacrifice was needed. Death was needed to reco- was required to cover the size of the sin and shame that we have brought upon this planet in our hearts. God provided that the first sacrifice to cover our sin. There is an echo of what this forthcoming saviour he's already prophesied about will do. You see, for that moment, they just needed their bodies covering. Their sin and their shame, they recognised their nakedness. And so God deemed what was sufficient was an animal. Blood and death, sacrifice to cover their sin and their shame. For us as humanity, that whole breadth of sin... God had to deal with that in such a way that he could provide the ultimate breadth of covering of himself. That's why Jesus, eternal God, Son of God, never created, one of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, 
he, would, he was willingly sent to pay the price on the cross, to die, to shed his own blood, to give his life, to provide the ultimate covering for the ultimate breadth of sin. He paid the price. That's amazing. And right at the start, they'd already made that plan and God provided So I've been watching a film last week, a German film called Tattoo. It's about a couple of, couple of cops, an older cop and a young cop look, hunting down a mad killer, as they do. It's quite formulaic. One of those kind of films. And in it, the older guy is called Minx. And the younger guy is a bit of an upstart, a bit unruly. But they're first introduced to each other at the beginning of the case. And the older guy, Minx, has a nickname amongst all their colleagues. And it's Killer. So the younger guy, when they're first introduced, is like, Killer. Not so sure I want to hang out with him, really. So he asks all his mates, why is his nickname Killer? And they say, well, his wife was killed by a hit-and-run driver some years ago. And they never, the police never found who did it. Never, no one was ever brought to justice. And so rumour has it, Minx worked out who that bloke was, tracked him down, went to his house in the night and killed him but no one's ever proven it. So he's just got his nickname, Killer. The story continues, and they're following this, this other mad nutter that is out and they're out and look, look, following all their clues and so on. There comes a point later in the film where the relationship has got to a point where the younger guy feels he can ask the older guy about this. And he says to him, they all call you Killer, don't they? He's like, yes. He goes, you know the story about why they call you that? He said, yes, I do. He said, what happened? And Mink says my wife was killed by a hit and run driver and no one was ever brought to justice but I found him and I went to his house in the middle of the night and I stood over him in his bed and he woke up and he knew exactly what I was going to do and I walked away and he says to him all this time I've known you you have always insisted your one mantra has been someone has to pay Every time they come across another crime, someone has to pay for that crime. That was his big mantra. He's saying, if that is your big mantra, how did you walk away from that bloke? Someone had to pay. And he said, someone did pay. I did. He was willing to take the hurt and the pain that he judged that guy deserved for what he'd done to his wife. He was willing to take that hurt and the pain on himself instead. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus, in his perfect judgment, when God judged us, he could see at the breadth of our sin and deemed the judgment was death, separation from God forever. That's what death means. That was the judgment. We're under a curse. And Jesus saw the hurt and the pain that we fully deserve for fracturing that relationship. And what did he do? He took the pain on himself. Someone did pay. Jesus paid. So it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. 
He became the curse for us. He didn't just simply take on the curse. He became the curse. He stood in your place. He stood in my place. He represented me. He represented all my sin. He represented you and all your sin. And he stood in your place and he became the curse. He willingly took on that hurt and pain so somebody did pay, but it didn't have to be you. That's massive. In Christ is the curse's ultimate, once for all, lifting. Because he took our place. Run to him. If you don't believe that, you haven't stepped into that promise. But it's available for you. He hasn't dealt with it for you, for you just to ignore that and hope everything's okay. Your relationship is still fractured. You need to be reconciled to him. And the only way to be reconciled to God is through the cross. The blood and the death that he provided. The sacrifice that he provided. Run to him. Do you know him? If you don't, run to him. It's the only way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And it's what he did on that cross 2,000 years ago. Run to him. And if you do know him, run to him. Because <laughs> we still don't do that enough, do we? We still don't rely on the cross enough. We still rely on our own efforts enough. We still act as functional non-believers, even if we are. Because of the way we live. We still, old habits die hard quite a lot, don't they? Run to him. Everything has got to be founded in the cross. Your identity is found in the cross. Your security is found in the cross. Your peace is found in the cross. Your healing is found in the cross. Run to him. See, that curse was pronounced over us. That judgment was pronounced over us as mankind. And in Christ, that curse is lifted. And it's our responsibility as believers now to pass that on. And living in the light of that turns the world upside down. It goes against the grain of the world, against the world's values, passing on that grace, sacrifice, pointing to the ultimate curse lifting by living in a way that doesn't put curses on others. I will mention this. There was, we had a guest speaker a few months ago who made a comment about forgiving others or not forgiving others. And it caused a bit of confusion among some of us, I know. Let me say this. To not forgive someone is passing judgment on them. To not forgive someone is effectively pronouncing a curse over them because you are deciding they don't deserve forgiveness. Regardless whether they said sorry or not, that's not your choice to make. Deciding not to forgive someone is deciding that you know better. Judgment and discernment are two very different things. Discernment is deeming what's right and wrong. And we need to be able to do that in our own hearts, in others, sometimes in church. Sometimes we have to make decisions about what's right and wrong for the integrity of the church. That's discernment. Judgment is when you do that and think you're morally superior. Judgment is putting yourself on a pedestal, thinking you're better than them. We are all in the same boat. We're all people who need a saviour. And there's only one of them. But to not forgive someone binds you up, probably more than them because they don't always know it or they're not even alive anymore. And you bind yourself up in exactly what he came to save you from. Who are we to do that? I know forgiveness is not easy. 
I understand that. It's a process often. But don't think you're let off the hook by not having to forgive people. Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus himself says these words. This is just an example of paying forward this curse lifting. We need to live in the light of it, don't we, as God's people. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. It's right at the end of the Lord's Prayer, which we'll be looking at in a few weeks' time, incidentally. But only God knows the heart. Only he can make the perfect judgment about someone. We have no right to do that because we don't know the heart of the other people. Jesus says this, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, which is his model of how to pray, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's pretty heavy. And there's no get out there if they've said sorry or if they haven't said sorry. He just says, forgive. I've forgiven you, forgive. Regardless of their response, their actions, their state of mind, their state of heart, forgive. That is lifting a curse. That is passing it on. And that turns the world's values upside down. See, his kingdom is breaking out. We're going to be focusing on the kingdom in a few weeks' time. His kingdom is breaking out and it starts here. And if you want to see more of his kingdom breaking out and more of Jesus glorified in this world, it starts here. Don't sit back and let someone else do it. It starts here. And that is living the way he wants you to live. And that is living the way that he has modelled. And that is lifting curses, removing judgment, forgiving. That is sacrifice. Somebody has to pay. Don't let it be the other person. Let it be you because he did it for you. Does that make sense? We can live it out and see this curse is being destroyed inch by inch because of what he had embedded in there, hidden away, was the foretelling of his son coming to pay that price. And one day it will be lifted completely from this planet. In the meantime, it's already started in here. The curse has been lifted over me. Has this curse been lifted over you? Lots of nodding heads. Good. If it hasn't, please come and speak to me. Speak to John. Grab us. No more. This is real life. This is about your destiny. And whether you end up with God or without God for eternity when you leave this planet. That's massive. In Christ, the curse is lifted. Shall we stand? We're going to sing a song.